Our readings for this morning's homily come from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7, Psalm, 1, Psalm 95, our second reading is from the book of Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, and our gospel reading is from John chapter 4, verses 5 to 42. Well, grace and peace to you, my friends. Let me ask, when was the last time you were so excited about something that was happening or about to happen you couldn't even eat? Now, there have been times in my life that by just looking at me, that had never happened, and I always knew where my next meal was coming from. However, maybe in your past, maybe even in your future, there was a time, a special day perhaps, like a wedding day or a birthday or a baby being born, that generated so much excitement in your world, you couldn't even eat. Or maybe something like an event you've been planning for. You've been physically training for a race of some kind, and race day had finally arrived. Or say something like a 70th wedding anniversary. anniversary. You were so excited, you couldn't even eat. Something so big in your life that whatever it was that was happening, the energy of that event was more than enough to feed your body, to feed your soul. So much so that food was not needed. And that's how excited Jesus was when the conversation Jesus had with the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well, led to her literally dropping her water jars and then running into the village of Sakar to tell everyone, come meet a man who told me everything I had ever done. For Jesus, the fields had become white on the harvest and the work just about to be accomplished would be the work Jesus was called to perform at the request of the Father. But more on that in a moment. For the remainder of this Lenten and then into our Easter season, our Gospel readings veer away from the Gospel of Matthew and we delve deeply into the Gospel of John. For me, Matthew's Gospel reveals to us Jesus as the King which we have read about and seen earlier in our exploration in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, as we turn to John's Gospel, for those who have eyes to see, they will see Jesus as God. Yet in showing us that Jesus is God, John is not only a theological master, John is a literary master as well. John's Gospel uses a dictionary a dictionary of only around 1,500 words in which John weaves a beautiful mosaic of Jesus as the Word made flesh, the bread of life, the light of the world, the great shepherd, the vine. Today, John will show us Jesus as the one who offers living water. Now, reading from a literary master means we need to pay attention to every word, every nuance, everything, really, that John writes. For this conversation from today's Gospel reading, first notice how it flows to us out of the conversation with the Pharisee Nicodemus and into the conversation with the woman at the well. The flow is intentional. 
John wants us to contrast between the two. Nicodemus was learned, powerful, respected, orthodox, theologically trained. She, the unnamed woman at the well, was unschooled, without influence, despised, capable of only speaking at an elementary level on the matters of religion. Nicodemus, a man, a Jew, a ruler. She, a woman, a Samaritan, a moral outcast. Here's a fact. They both needed Jesus. Now, Jesus is tired from his journey, and he sits down at a well around the hour of noon. The early church father, Augustine of Hippo, comments that Jesus here is not only physically tired from the heat and in need of refreshment, but that Jesus is also spiritually tired from his journey of entering into humanity and is in need of spiritual refreshment. Let me pause for a second and remind us that we have a Savior who has indeed gone before us and knows of our human struggles, yet was without sin. And as another early biblical author has pointed out, we have a great high priest who has gone before us, one who knows of our human struggles, yet was without sin. Now turning back to the story, John adds this lovely detail. It was about noon. If Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night in the darkness, this pericope has the woman of Samaria coming to Jesus in the brightest light of the day when everything is illuminated. Jesus says, give me a drink. Now there is so much wrong with this picture that John describing it in this fashion can only mean how much right there is with this picture. Well, what do I mean? Well, first, Jesus is a man and she a woman. No respectable Jewish male, especially a person who was a rabbi or seen as a holy man in that day and age, would have allowed himself to be alone with a woman, much less to speak with her. She is a Samaritan. Jesus is a Jew. The friction between the two groups is well noted and understood even today. The two groups hated each other. Third, she is obviously a woman of ill character. Many commentators have pointed out that she, coming to draw water alone in the heat of the day, points to the fact that her life is a bit of a mess and she doesn't desire nor want the attention of the gossips of the town. It gets worse. The hateful rhetoric of racist, political, and sexist views between the Jews and the Samaritans would soon lead to Jewish rabbis of the day, in Jesus' day, to write in official documents that all daughters of the Samaritans are menstruants, from their cradle and therefore perpetually in a state of ceremonial uncleanness. Thus the Samaritan's woman surprised then in hearing Jesus' words, give me a drink, are well justified. She cannot fathom what would possess a Jewish man to ask her, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. However, she does not know that Jesus 
far from being defiled by her uncleanness, sanctifies, makes clean what he touches. Others who touch lepers become unclean. Jesus touches lepers and they are clean. Now get this. To a religious aristocratic male named Nicodemus and to an unnamed peasant woman, Samaritan woman at a well, who has made a mess of her life, Jesus now converses freely with both, happily breaking all social and religious taboos. In other words, what is so wrong with this picture from a humanly view is so right with this picture from a heavenly view. You see, God, our God, the maker of both earth and heaven, only desires to get things right. Jesus only desires to do the will of his Father. It's the only reason Jesus has come to dwell with us, to get things right. And so he says, give me a drink. Now, before we go on, let me ask you this. Does anyone here feel unclean, ashamed of their past, not pleased with the way things have turned out? In the bright light of the day at noon, Jesus sees us and knows us. And as we move into the light of this story, I ask you now to let Jesus draw near to you and touch you. Give me a drink. It seems odd that Jesus' opening move in this conversation next to Jacob's well is a request. I mean, isn't Jesus the one who was to bring help? The one to bring living water to us? Why does Jesus ask for a drink? Here Jesus not only exhibits his more than human knowledge of the person he is speaking with, it tells us how adept Jesus is at getting to the heart of the matter quickly. In all four Gospels, Jesus' flexibility leaps from the pages as he deals with a wide variety of people and their varied needs. Jesus oftentimes drives to the greatest sin, hopelessness, guilt, despair, need. We hear it in Jesus' asking, Do you want to be healed? Or, go and sell everything and then come follow me. Or, your faith has healed you. Go and sin no more. If Jesus is truly the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John's Gospel has already stated, then inevitably Jesus will deal with the sin and the lives of those who express interest and desire in following him. The point then is obvious. Jesus will deal with the sin in our lives in one way or another. We have only gotten to the first line of this gospel story and our time is already running short. Thus, I encourage you to pick up your Bibles this week and throughout the remainder of Lent and then into the Easter season and delve into the entire gospel of John. You'll love it. It will change and bring your life to abundance. That said, we do have time for just one more point. The conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is indeed epic. The themes of light and darkness, water and thirst, flesh and spirit 
are intricately and beautifully wound in and around and through the story, like it was divinely inspired. And so it was, divinely inspired, that is. As the story progresses, after she cheekily jibs at the Jewish man, after she is confronted with his wisdom and then his knowledge of her past, after she attempts to wiggle and worm her away away from the situation, she finally and wisely discerned that Jesus was more than a weary Jewish traveler. In fact, she deems that the man in front of her a prophet and then defers and deflects her thoughts and hopefully the traveler's thoughts as well to the Messiah who is to come. Astoundingly, Jesus plainly says to her about this Messiah who is to come, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Have you ever been so excited about something that was happening in your life you had no need for physical food? Jesus is here now no longer weary from his travels, no longer weary from entering into the depths of humanity. No, Jesus' spirit is now enthused, fed by the response of the woman. It is here that Jesus' disciples return from their shopping errands into the nearby town. All of them, seeing the woman, wonder, who is she? And what did she want from Jesus? And had Jesus been speaking with her? Here's the point I want to make. It is here that the woman puts down her burden, the weighted water jugs, and runs back to the city to call the people to come and see a man who told me everything that I have ever done. The one who came to the well in the full brightness of the midday sun so that she may not be seen, need not, to, need not then to encounter any human being, is now the first evangelist to the Samaritan village. But notice what she does first. She puts her burdens down and then runs with glee to tell the others about Jesus. When one meets Jesus, the old is gone, the new has come. My friends, put your burdens down so that you may run with glee to tell others about Jesus. This, my friends, is indeed what fills up Jesus' soul with good nourishment. That is one sinner laying down her burdens, putting the old things away, and then running with glee to tell others about God's grace and love. Jesus is so excited, he's no need for physical food. We've reached the end of our time for this homily, and yet there's so much more to be discovered. So let me end by saying this. Do you want to find great joy and peace in your life? Then fill up your soul with the spiritual food of giving a drink of living water to those who thirst. And then, drink in the spring of water that's bubbling up in you, inside your life. Amen. Amen. 